I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We always wanted to make it feel like you were joining Club Pop Bitch. Since then, it's become the place to go for celebrity gossip. Hundreds of thousands of people have signed up. It's a perfect storm. People love to gossip. They always have and they always will. Plus, if you're able to do that about famous people, then it's all more interesting. An account on Twitter that's called at Pop Bitch. I've never submitted a story, but I know people who have. I've read stories in it that I've heard in the pub the week before. You might not have heard of it, but you've probably felt its impact. Its broken stories helped change the world of celebrity and provided hours of water cooler chat. It's been a thread throughout popular culture for 20 years. It's just a plain text email so that you can read it at your desk without anyone knowing. And there's no byline. For a long time, it was actually anonymous. It's not glossy. And to some extent, it's under the radar but it's read by all the insiders and its footprint is everywhere. I'm talking about a weekly gossip newsletter, a newsletter called Pop Bitch. I'm Claudia Williams and this week on the Slow Newscast, we're doing something a little different. It's part of a series we publish at Tortoise, the newsroom behind this podcast. The series is called Slow Reviews and it's overseen by one of our editors, Peter Hoskin. It's reviews of the movies, books, albums, paintings and other cultural artefacts that really changed the world around them. And if you're wondering whether a celebrity gossip newsletter fits within that framework, well, yes, it does. Potbitch set the terms for celebrity coverage in the 21st century. Potbitch broke the mould by allowing readers to post anonymous stories and it's beaten the tabloids to some huge exclusives. It changed the way we do journalism and it democratised gossip. It goes out to more than 300,000 subscribers each week and it has informants everywhere. If you stood next to former MP Lembit Opik at the urinals of a West End club and got a glimpse, well, you too could have contributed to Pop Bitch. Besides, isn't everything about celebrity now? Wasn't Donald Trump better explained according to the rules of celebrity culture? I was wondering what you would say to President Obama. You're fired. Isn't Boris Johnson the most showbiz politician we've ever had? I mean, he was a comedy panel show host on his way to becoming prime minister. Good evening and welcome to Have I Got News For You. My name is Boris Johnson and when I first appeared... 2020, the pandemic year, was supposed to be the end of celebrity. 
the seriousness of the COVID era was supposed to kill off our appetite for influencers jet-setting around the world and actors singing at us from their mansions. But it's done no such thing. We are as enthralled with celebrity as we've always been. So get ready, because this week we are digging into the salacious world of rumour and intrigue, from sex scandals to stickerphobias, otters to the old jokes home. This is the story of Pop Bitch. What do you picture when you think about the noughties? Is it low-rise jeans and whale-tail underwear? Maybe it's the Millennium Dome. Or is it Kelly Rowland texting Nelly on Microsoft Excel in the Dilemma music video? Well, when I think back to that time, there is one thing that springs to mind immediately. The winner of Pop Idol 2002 is... My primary school was consumed by Pop Idol. It was all we talked about during break. And I remember that moment during the final so clearly. I was watching it from home with my family, standing up so that I was nearer the TV. And the pause before the result, well, it seemed to take a lifetime. Will! I was devastated. Team Gareth all the way. But whoever side you were on, famous people were suddenly starting to look more like, well, people. We had their talent show competitors and reality TV stars. Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? Where did you find her? We're going to have Lamar sing the song that he would have sung if he'd made it into the final two. Please give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Lamar Lubica with Angels. Footballers. David is... Uh... I call him Golden Balls, you know, now because I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Golden Balls, Beckham, eh? And even their managers. Yes, forget Beckham's foot. The big soccer story is whether Sven-Joran Eriksson and Ulrika Johnson really are having an affair. Who all suddenly seem to dominate the pages of magazines and newspapers. And like the rest of British society, I was enthralled by this non-stop world of showbiz. These were the years when the very fabric of celebrity itself, who we made famous, how we talked about them and how we accessed them, was changing. We went from the Primrose Hill set, Kate Moss, Jude Law, to the TV show Big Brother. Suddenly, anyone and everyone could be famous. And the desire for media coverage was insatiable. We were at the peak of 15 minutes of fame. But it took a weekly gossip newsletter to help get us there. Because when Pop Bitch first crept onto the scene, none of that had happened yet. It was December 1999, and we were at the cusp of a new millennium. We're watching as the last year of the last century of the old millennium slouches off stage to make way for the youthful entry of the new. Pop Bitch was set up by Camilla Wright and Neil Stevenson, who were, at that time, a couple. They were both Oxford graduates who had worked a few years in the media industry. Here's Camilla Wright. We used to go out together a lot and talk through the stories that didn't make it out. Things that were cut out of your interviews when you were interviewing really interesting celebrities. 
They ended up sounding incredibly bland, the kind of thing that people behind the scenes talked about. Neil Stevenson was an editor at the celeb magazine Heat, which had just started out itself and had initially flopped. And Camilla Wright was a freelancer, often working on celebrity interviews. They wanted Potbitch to be a mix between a grown-up version of a music magazine like Smash Hits and the satirical investigative periodical Private Eye, only for celebrities. A newsletter that revealed the story behind the story. We thought it'd be fun to put things together and send to each other, really. It was never really meant to be a business model. It was never really meant to be a mass market thing. It started as an email to 15 of their friends, people also in media, music, PR, that sort of thing. The first issue was a simple, plain text message that included a story about a Frisbee-related lawsuit for hitmaker Nile Rogers and artist Boy George's recent near-death experience with a glitter ball. After just 20 issues, it already had a 1,000 readers. And it wasn't meant to be, I guess, a massive expose, and we never really thought through what we were writing about and doing. It was just really the world of entertainment, celebrity, music, the kind of world, people, the kind of, world of showbiz that people really liked was actually an amazingly entertaining thing. Whatever they intended, Potbitch was disrupting the status quo. The world was ran by newspapers, by Sunday newspapers, by kiss and tells, and by the relationship between journalists and agents. All of our celebrity news up until this point had been carefully curated by these people and carefully selected. That's Jamie East, broadcaster, journalist, one-time host of TV show Big Brother's Bit on the Side, and former owner of Holy Moly, a gossip site set up in the early noughties to rival Pop Bitch. For a long, long time... It was like that. It was quite, it was very British, very 80s, quite grubby, quite seaside postcard. And then when the internet hit and internet message boards came along and importantly, anonymity became part of the puzzle, things changed completely and things got, I guess, real for the first time in a long time. Soon, Potbitch wasn't just an email. For over 15 years, it was also a message board too, and a fairly infamous one at that. Potbitch was one of the first ones that did that under the guise of celebrity gossip. You know, it was, it was, it was kind of unique and pretty novel. And importantly, you could be completely anonymous in doing so as well. So all of a sudden, you know, people like, myself and you know like-minded people who had a few kind of celeb stories under their belt from lives gone in the past could share these and get kind of kudos and 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 a bit of reverence and a bit of shock factor without anybody knowing who you were and there being no recourse or no no kind of uh, comeback on that and and it was it was pretty revelatory yeah Suddenly, people had somewhere to share the stories and the rumours and the urban myths that they'd been telling in the pub for decades. It was really refreshing to go, well, hang on a minute, peel back the veneer a bit. And, you know, they all leave skid marks in the toilet, the same as everybody. And here's exactly why. That was the crux of it all, was that, was that it, the glossiness of 80s kind of celebrity was ready for a bit of a, a, a taking down a peg or two, for sure. And not to get too crude here, but sometimes Potbitch really does get down to the skid marks. It is still completely irreverent in tone and goes far further with the details than most mainstream media. 
and I really mean far further. Potbitch uses words and descriptions that you certainly won't see in a newspaper, nor many other publications. Which BBC daytime star left the hotel cleaners a lovely little thank you gift after a recent stay? A huge dollop of spunk, right in the middle of the bed. From sex to drugs to whatever else, Potbitch sets out to tell the story, warts and all, even if they had to dress it up as an anonymised tale or blind item to save the legal bother. In fact, blind items became the Potbitch speciality and have been copied throughout the industry. Which unlucky-in-love celebrity might not be quite as jinxed as the stories suggest? A red top was offered graphic footage of the star being pleasured in a jacuzzi at the Playboy Mansion. The tabloid never used the footage. No doubt entirely unrelated to this is that the star can often be found sharing whatever news she's got with the tabloids. But what really sets Pop Bitch apart is that it's silly. Julian Reintup, spotted on a train at East Croydon, texting in the most peculiar fashion. He only uses his right thumb and left index finger. It's full of anecdotes about celebrities doing weird and wonderful things, but also just being people. Like the time the actor Bill Nye let someone using a Tesco club card to eat a pot of pasta know that, in fact, there was actually a fork they could use under the lid. A typical addition includes sections such as the old jokes home. I started a boat business in the attic. The sales are going through the roof. Above all, there's a clear voice and tone. Mischievous, satirical, and like Private Eye, the stories generally have a punchline. It's gained a sort of cult following. Potbitch really is an insider's newsletter, not just read by journalists, PRs, personal assistants, showrunners and celebrities themselves, but fed by them. It counts Madonna, Elton John and Sophie Ellis-Bexter among its readers, despite the fact that all have been mentioned in the email and not always in glowing terms. The filmmaker Adam Curtis is a long-standing editorial contributor. But it's always been just under the radar enough to feel like you're learning something other people don't have access to. And it looks under the radar too. No pictures, no glossy sheen. It feels as if it's made to be printed out and pinned on the doors of toilet cubicles. That's part of the appeal, says Adam McQueen from Private Eye. He was, at one point, what he calls an editorial lieutenant and tells me he's still a friend of Potbitch, even if they sometimes beat him to the punch on stories. As with Private Eye, he says Potbitch makes readers feel like they're part of a club, like they're on the inside. It's something Camilla Wright mentioned too. I guess that's why Potbitch has survived and thrived, because... Once you subscribe to it, you feel like you're part of an insider set, that you're, that, you know, the chattering class, the, the behind the velvet rope, part of a club. And we always wanted to make it feel like you were joining Club Pop Bitch, that uh, once you subscribed, the kind of things that people behind the scenes talked about were part of your world. And the people behind the scenes, well, they had a lot to talk about. Uh-huh. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel McGrath. I've been an entertainment journalist for nearly 10 years and I currently work for OK Magazine. It's hard to really grapple with the explosion of celebrity since 2000 and particularly to understand really what reality TV did. I think Big Brother is a, is a really good example to use and it's kind of what then happened on social media but without the TV company needing to be involved. So what we saw in Big Brother was that they took regular people, really interesting ones, but they took regular people from the street and they turned them into TV stars overnight. You know, so many huge names, um, obviously Jade Goody, uh, Nikki Graham, uh, Alison Hammond, who's now on This Morning. You know, she started out on Big Brother. It was a time where, you know, that idea that anybody on the street could be famous if they were funny and silly enough on television really started to take hold. And with the rise of these new celebrities. Welcome back to Big Brother and welcome to our winner, Brian. I'm so to watch no other. Came magazines dedicated to them. Paparazzi shots, upskirt photos, those little red rings around pictures of cellulite. Looking back now, it's hard to believe how normalised it all was. I remember at the time my mum refusing to buy those magazines, but as a kid and later as a teenager, I was lapping it all up. No update to me seemed too personal. These entertainment shows working. Um, and, you know, if you needed to read more about them, if your favourite person left, you needed to get a newspaper, you needed to get a magazine. They were becoming really famous at a time when they then, you know, they then didn't have anywhere to go. Love Islanders nowadays come off the show and their Instagram account goes off the chart. You know, they sign all the sponsorship deals, they do it all themselves. But it was, yeah, it was a very different time um, where these people were becoming like overnight celebrities in the UK. This is where Popbitch stood out. They weren't posting paparazzi shots or constantly pointing out someone's weight gain or mental health crisis. They specialised in the stories that just didn't have a place elsewhere in the media. But there was one couple that really made Popbitch's name. Now, where did you two meet? We met at the football. Beckham, was you into the Spice Girls beforehand? Um, no, but I was into Posh. 
Had you already seen a picture of her and knocked one out? <laughs> the Beckhams. You know, Posh and Beck's were showbiz royalty. The magazine cover with their uh, wedding is the two of them in those thrones. Like, I can still remember those wedding pictures like more vividly than I can remember weddings I've been to. You know, it was that big. And they, for a long time, were sort of the golden couple. You know, the Spice Girl and the Football Darling were the couple of the early noughties. I mean, I can pretty much chart the noughties based on the haircuts David Beckham had, because you could bet the boys at school would be trying it out sooner or later. If you want a sense of their fame, in 1999, they were paid £1 million to have their wedding on the front of OK magazine. Victoria Adams, better known as Posh Spice and England soccer star David Beckham, are now husband and wife. The year's most glamorous non-royal wedding took place in a small Irish castle before less than 30 people. It marked the start of spiralling deals as weekly magazines tried to beat each other to the next celebrity exclusive. But soon... Hot Bitch was, was talking about allegations of infidelity against David long before it made the mainstream press. You know, those whispers were there. Um... And I actually read recently that the week that that all kind of kicked off, or I think it was the week that they received a legal threat on it, they gained something like 50,000 new subscribers. It it was huge. Um, so, you know, as much as it is sort of fun and we talk about how funny it is and that's what great, what's great, the impact that they've had on journalism and in the level of the scoops they're bringing is huge. Allegations that David Beckham was having an affair were posted on the Pop Bitch message boards and the team quickly received legal letters. It prompted huge speculation from the newspapers, but they were legally unable to print the rumours, which were, and still are, strongly denied. Still, the name Pop Bitch was out there. And 18 months later, the News of the World alleged that David Beckham was having an affair with his personal assistant, Rebecca Luce. He has always denied the story. Pop Bitch, a tiny organisation, was having an outsized impact on the industry. When I was reporting this story, Adam McQueen sent me a private eye piece from 2002 that suggests that the papers were simply lifting stories from the Pop Bitch email every Thursday. And even if they weren't taking stories, the press were certainly taking inspiration. Pop Bitch's style and tone of gossip started seeping through the industry. The Mirror had the 3am girls, the Star launched the bitches, the Daily Mail set up wicked whispers. And it inspired new media too. Jamie East, you heard from him earlier, he set up Holy Moly in 2002. I just felt that, that they were missing a trick in terms of the brand, in terms of monetization, in terms of making it a, a, a more of a commercial kind of property. And that's so I went with holy moly as a as a as a way of doing exactly that which was taking the bare bones of celebrity gossip but probably ramping it up a bit in terms of editorial style or certainly certainly being a bit cruder and and a bit a bit more brazen clearly though pop bitch was not uncontroversial they didn't always get it right gossip reporting it walks a tightrope of legal risk. And there is a reason the mainstream media doesn't cover some of this stuff. They faced a legal challenge from broadcaster Jeremy Clarkson for false allegations posted on their message board. And in 2008, they had to pay out to actor Max Beasley. Here's Camilla Wright, the founder, speaking about it at the Leveson Inquiry. This was a story that appeared to come from two very good sources um, and I wrote it in good faith, but I made a misjudgment and I have to hold my hands up and say that on this occasion this was this was wrong. 
The current editor, Chris Lockery, tells me that while many responses to their stories recognise the good humour they were originally written in, they do, of course, get proper legal pushback sometimes. We know when that's an intimidation tactic and we, you know, we'll do what we can to sort of stand our ground and keep what we can up. Obviously, we're not, we're not as reckless as, we, <laughs> as, as, as people maybe would assume we are. And we, we do take all that sort of stuff extremely seriously because, um, yeah, it's, it's not fun to have lawyers screaming at you every hour of the day. And that does happen, but we don't put ourselves in that position unless it's a story we know that we're happy to, you know, fight the corner of. Although he'd prefer to be writing mainly the lighter stories, he argues that their gossip networks serve a purpose beyond just good fun. He says they act as a source of regulation for an industry that has tons of money splashing around. And a seedy side. The job of Potbitch, he says, is to shine a light, a counterbalance to all that money and all that PR. There was, for a long time, it was happy days, you know. We, we did end up settling into quite a good groove, both, you know, all celebrity gossip websites for about probably four or five years where there was kind of an unhappy arrangement between everybody and it just kind of got on and it made money and everyone was kind of begrudgingly accepted that that we were here to stay. But as quickly as the celebrity magazine and website boom came around, the world changed and it started to crumble. But over a while, the public mood changed and social media became a thing and the two of those combined just pretty much killed most of them stone dead um paparazzi pictures were a huge part of what holy moly did and they just got really grim you know for all of the talk of change after diana you know was hounded by the paparazzi nothing really changed it's just that diana was swapped out for amy winehouse and pete doherty and you know so it went from being a funny paparazzi pic of someone being sick in the street or Jamiroquai headbutting a photographer outside his Lamborghini to, to kind of, you know, Pete Doherty squirting blood over a kitten from a syringe and, you know, all these, it, it, it just got pretty grim. And then social media just killed it all off stone dead because who cares what an anonymous celebrity website says about something if George Michael can just go onto his Twitter account and just go, well, that's bollocks. You know, it's like that, that will always hold far more currency than, than anything else. Of course, not everyone would agree with Jamie East's characterisation. Some people would say that most of the paparazzi coverage from this era tended towards the grim. But with social media, the overgrown power of the paparazzi was broken. Why would a newspaper pay thousands of pounds for a set of pictures that a celeb might now post themselves online for free? And suddenly anyone with a smartphone could easily post and digest gossip as they walked around. This had its own shuddering effect on the company set up to do this stuff professionally. By 2015, Jamie East's site Holy Moly had closed down. The Daily Mirror's 3AM Girls column was dropped in 2016. If you zoom out and look at the wider industry, there has been a real change. Celebrity magazine sales are down, and most of them have had to really diversify their content to stay relevant. And what we deem as acceptable reporting has also shifted. Perez Hilton, an American blogger who was once the authority on celebrity news, well, he's been widely criticised for the way that he covered pop culture stories and has pretty much faded from relevancy. In the UK, the phone hacking scandal led to the closure of the newspaper News of the World and brought about the Leveson Inquiry. 
a landmark interrogation into the ethics of the press. And yet, Potbitch is still around. It's still run by a tiny team. The bulk of the editorial work is done by Camilla Wright and Chris Lockery, with help from a cast of regular contributors, sources and editorial advisors, plus the all-important lawyers. They have more than 300,000 email subscribers. That's more than the circulation of The Guardian and The Financial Times daily newspapers combined. They still send out an email every Thursday afternoon. Ten short stories, the same font, the same format, the same voice. In two decades, we've gone from dodgy dial-up internet to millions of people working seamlessly from home every day. But Potbitch has remained constant. When so many others have fallen, why is it still standing? In some ways, Potbitch managed to preempt the zeitgeist. By sticking with their original format, they spotted, or were the fortunate beneficiaries of, the fact that the email newsletter has not only survived, but grown as a medium. Nobody thought that would happen once social media and apps came along, but it did. Who would have predicted back in 1999 that newspapers around the world would be setting up newsletter teams, or journalists moving all their content onto email platforms such as Substack? It's bite-sized, accessible, and it's free. Plus, since 2000, the world has actually become more pop-bitch. Everything has turned into entertainment. Take Donald Trump. My name's Donald Trump, and I'm the largest real estate developer in New York. In one presidency, the world of reality TV and politics collided. And more generally, the scrutiny and style of interview we have begun to expect from our politicians is now the same as our celebrities. I'm Ben Smith. I'm the media columnist for The New York Times. Ben Smith was first introduced to Popbit when BuzzFeed News, which he was then editor-in-chief of, was starting to launch in the UK. I had never heard of it, actually. And, um, yeah, and... and and found, you know, any given two-thirds of it totally incomprehensible. Then often it had some incredible scoop on something I cared about. Something, I mean, it's, it's true of any, I mean, it's not unique to this sector, but when you, you know, but when you are reading somebody who you can just tell has their, has their hand on the, on the pulse of some real inside conversation, it's, you, you can sort of try to figure out, you know, it's fun to figure out what's going on from context. And then also, you know, occasionally I read something that interests me about Sean Hannity. What he's referring to here is something that went down in June this year. Written a story about how Tucker Carlson basically is a great source to American journalists, um, despite, you know, attacking the media all the time. Ben Smith wrote an article about Tucker Carlson, the conservative talk show host. Sean Hannity, another conservative talk show host, well, he complained about Ben Smith's story on his Fox News show. I'm calling on Ben Smith and other so-called journalists at the Times, just start being honest about who you are and what you believe, and that you have an agenda. And Potbitch pounced, reporting that Sean Hannity shouldn't necessarily jump to Tucker Carlson's defence, because Tucker Carlson had a habit of saying mean things about him behind his back. When Ben Smith tweeted a screenshot of the newsletter, Sean Hannity wasn't too impressed. New York Times, with all the prestige that they like to think that they have, they're now tweeting out from an account and using an account on Twitter that's called, their words, not mine, at Pop Bitch. Ben Smith says he doesn't really read Pop Bitch for the celebrity stuff, but clearly it is still relevant to his work. 
politics and media have always been this fabric that ranges between, you know, really important life and death decisions and gossip. And it's the same people who are engaged in both. And, you know, and, and you can't, and, and they, and, and there's an interplay between them, whether you like it or not. And that's, that's just always been the case. Gossip. It really is, and always has been, everywhere. I found myself conflicted while making this podcast. Every so often, I've come across a story that's made me recoil a bit. Though they might be witty, the quips in Pop Bitch can be cruel, and the story's deeply personal. It might appear to operate outside the rules of the showbiz bubble, but in the early years it was still another elite product, two Oxbridge graduates with extensive contacts, determining the boundaries of acceptability. It was Pop Bitch that coined the terms Croydon facelift, about the scraped-back ponytail look, and pram face, a quip about female pop stars who supposedly looked like they were more suited to pushing a pram around a council estate. It's hard to see that as anything but classist. And honestly, it's been a jarring time to dive back into the archives of the noughties, to reassess my own enjoyment of the stories that just sometimes might be people's worst moment or deeper secret. One of the defining global stories of the past few weeks is about Britney Spears. I think anybody who's doing well in the public eye or whatever, there's always going to be a shift because people don't want to see somebody happy all the time. And her treatment by the press at the time Pop Bitch was really making its name. She is in the midst of trying to get rid of a conservatorship, which probably wouldn't have happened in the first place if it hadn't been for the unrelenting media coverage. According to a new court filing, her father, Jamie, says he's willing to step down as her conservator when the time is right. For the past 13 years, he's been part of a conservatorship in charge of Britney's $60 million estate that was put into place after several public breakdowns. We're supposed to have improved and moved on, but as Britney herself has pointed out, the people raking over her past now aren't that different to the people who were ogling her at the time. And for yet another summer, like millions of other people, I've spent nearly every evening watching Love Island. It's not quite celebrity gossip, but it's essentially watching the love lives of next month's celebrities play out on screen. The worst part is realising that it's less entertaining because they've got rid of some of the most egregious elements. Drama in reality shows comes from tension. Tension in real people's lives is horrible. But when it's a bit kinder, people enjoy Love Island less. Just look at the comments on Twitter. When the producers really amp up the drama, the viewing figures skyrocket. Although we might want it in a different format or smudged around the edges, our appetite for celebrity gossip and drama and intrigue is not waning. It's just changing tack, shrouded in acknowledgements of guilt or half-hearted complaints to Ofcom. As Jamie East says, our attitude towards celebrities and gossip is cyclical. Because now it's all about influences, now it's about paid partnerships online. It's become, as it always does, becomes commercialised and, and saturated and diluted. So that actually we're not really getting the genuine story now. We're getting carefully curated Instagram posts that have been done by the glam squad and, been, and, and have been approved by the PRs. So inevitably what's going to happen is that people will seek out 
try and seek out the truth because that's what that's what they want or what's what they think they want until they get the truth. The reckoning that's come for a lot of showbiz reporting about celebrities, well, it hasn't really touched Popbitch. Perhaps it's because Popbitch covers such a range of different stories. Sure, some of it can be scurrilous or nasty, but there's also hard-hitting investigative reporting and genuinely lovely anecdotes or jokes you could easily tell your grandmother without her flinching. From the mean to the benign, variety is the spice of Popbitch's life. There is something in there for everyone. And Adam McQueen from Private Eye points out that Popbitch has always stood apart from many of the celebrity gossip magazines when it comes to the type of story they publish. They might discuss the size of someone's penis, for example, but generally only when it's a positive review. Given the rest of what's out there, I think it's no wonder that people embrace a gentler version of what some might feel is an invasion of privacy. Ultimately, for 20 years, Popbitch has really walked its own path in the industry, and it is undeniable that others have followed. The very substance of the gossip that we read today has been shaped by a low-spec email with an outsized punch. I asked Chris Lockery, the editor, whether he's got any favourite stories from over the years, and I think his answer, well, it summed up Popbitch pretty well. It's difficult to find one that, that fully encapsulates my... My love for gossip, really, because it can be hard to justify uh, a love for gossip because it means so many different things to so many different people. Um, and, and a lot of it, not always good. But sometimes it's just that a heartwarming little bit about bumping into a celebrity and, and borrowing their handkerchief or something like that, which sounds so boring when I talk about it like that. But it's something that... You tell it about the right person and you warm everybody's hearts. Similarly, you can find something that's so disgusting and so far out of the, the sort of realms of people's understanding of how humans behave that, you know, all of human life is there, really. It's a justification I'm probably going to use myself every 9pm this summer as I sit down to watch yet another episode of Love Island. One eye on the phone in my hand, ready to scroll through Twitter at the same time. This episode of The Slow Newscast was written and reported by me, Claudia Williams. It was produced by Studio Klong for Tortoise Media with additional production by Xavier Greenwood. Original music by Tom Kinsella. Peter Hoskin is the editor of the Slow Review series. Thanks so much for listening this week. And if you enjoyed this episode, then I think you should join Tortoise. We're a bunch of journalists trying to do things differently, opening up and inviting our members, hopefully soon to be you, to help shape our ideas and our work. You can get involved in tons of different ways. All you need to do is go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use the code BASHA50, that's my name, B-A-S-I-A 50 for a special discounted price. Thank you and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Traffic jams tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.